when my heart grows weary. Oh Lord, when my heart grows weary, I have to make decisions. I have to make choices. And tonight I'm asking, would you come and quicken our hearts and make these choices clear and give us the courage to make them. Thank you, Jesus. Mark, the 14th chapter. We'll begin reading with verse 32. Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, or the place of crushing. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Daddy, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus was being sent on a course that was completely crushing his heart. He was exhausted from having slept every night for the past week on the Mount of Olives in a dry camp with just his outer robe for protection. I'm sure he had eaten very little during this time, probably spending much of that time fasting. His heart was greatly troubled by the complete rejection of the leadership of the Jewish people. He was seeing in vision the terrible armies of Titus that would come and surround Jerusalem in just a few short years. He was seeing his people being cast down and killed. The visions were clear. He was certain of what was going to happen. His heart was utterly crushed. And now the most crushing blow of all, to be separated from his father. 
to be the sacrificial lamb offered on Calvary's tree. I was preparing to go in to a Bible study many years ago, and suddenly the Holy Spirit fell on me in power and authority. And he unveiled for me what I'm going to share with you tonight. What I'm going to share does not come from my heart. It comes from the heart of God. It did not come by my studying commentaries and coming up with this. It came by divine revelation. The word was put in my mouth by the Holy Spirit. And as I prayed about tonight's service, the Holy Spirit again fell upon me. And the word was put in my mouth. I want you to know it's a sure word. It's from the heart of God. It's from his heart to my heart. And still hot from his heart, I give it to you. God sees our heart. Jesus was being sent on a course that was going to separate him in the physical realm from the presence of the Father. And it was crushing his heart. He was devastated. He so agonized over this that in the book of Luke, we are told that he sweat blood. That he clung and dug into the ground as though some power was trying to jerk him away. And he would not have any of it. He would have the Father's will, not the devil's will. The devil's will is to destroy us, to cut us off, to cause us to be in utter despair and hopelessness. And now Jesus is seeing that he's going to be cut off from God. And he too now begins to sweat blood and to cry out in anguish of heart. And the Holy Spirit said to me, what brings such anguish to your heart? And I had to be honest. What brings such anguish to my heart is not being sure where the money will come from. Not being sure where church members will come from. Not being sure if my health will stand up not being sure where my food will come from, not being sure of how you're going to stand, those things crush my heart. But there's only one thing that should crush or cause my heart any problem, and that is if my heart begins to be separated from God's heart. There isn't any other issue that has any bearing or importance before us tonight except this one issue. It is heavy on God's heart for this fellowship. It is don't let your heart be separated from my heart. That's what God is saying to us. Do not let the devil clutch your heart and take possession of it. Do not allow him access. Instead, let the Father have access. 
Don't be troubled by a lack of money. Don't be troubled by sickness. Don't be troubled by where you're going to live. Don't be troubled by what you're going to wear. Don't be troubled by your bank account. Only one thing should cause our hearts any concern tonight. And that is, are we separated from the heart of the Father? Is there distance between my heart and God's heart? That's what God wants to deal with. He doesn't want any distance between our hearts. Oh, I love him for that. I love him for that. If I were in God's place, I'd be saying, get that man Ray Greenley away from me. He doesn't deserve my presence. Or get that Kevin Jones out of here. He doesn't deserve to be considered holy. I'm not going to share my holiness with him. Oh, but that's never the heart of God. God never gives up on our soul. There is no place you can sink so low that God will give up on your soul. God won't give up on your soul. Bitterness can rise in your spirit. Anguish of heart can flood over your soul. But God won't cast you aside. God's one agenda is that our hearts be one with Him. He paid the ultimate price on Calvary that there could be an atonement made so that there could be peace between your heart and God's heart. The heart of Jesus was breaking. He didn't know how to deal with, with this separation from God. Now, that's not going to be an issue in your heart until you've experienced being close to God and then you've been pulled away. But once you've been close to God's heart and you've experienced that touch of love in your spirit, then to lose that, oh, it's like losing a treasure. And now you have to spend all your energy searching after to find that lost coin. Oh, did you know we can be the lost coin that God is searching after? Or his love can be the lost coin that we go searching after. There was a day when the Holy Spirit was being poured out in power. But he's not today. The Holy Spirit is the lost coin of God that we must sweep our houses to find. Our hearts have to be searched through because he hasn't left us. We've just lost him. God won't leave us, but we can lose him. Rebellion can rise in our hearts. Arrogance can rise our hearts can get twisted. And we lose the presence of God. Oh, tonight, 
There should be nothing in our hearts or minds that we treasure more than the heart of God. He's everything. My heart is nothing without the pulsating power of the Holy Spirit in my heart. This is everything. There's nothing to compare. And there is no loneliness to compare to the heart of one who has lost his love. To lose the love of your heart, that's crushing. But I want to tell you tonight, you may have lost the Holy Spirit, but he hasn't lost you. Sweep your heart. Sweep your heart. Find him. Search after him. Earnestly cry after him. He won't cast you aside. Now, I'd like to share with you tonight the inner feelings of Jesus as he was on the cross on Calvary's tree. I want to share with you the inner feelings of Jesus as he cried in the Garden of Gethsemane. What would cause him to sweat blood? The 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? You recognize those words. That's what Jesus said when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At no time in Jesus' life was God closer to him than he was at the moment when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was feeling utterly forsaken. But he was totally surrounded by the love of God. He was right in the middle of the will of God. There was no sin in his heart. He was pure and clean. He was directly in the will of Almighty God. There are times when we feel like God has left us. He has not left us. He's still crying out after our soul. Why are you so far from saving me? So far? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. 
Well, this is what happened with Jesus from his mother's breast. He trusted in God. But now it seems as though he is utterly deserted by God. He cries aloud to God and there is no answer. He says, oh God, save me and there's no salvation. Everything looks utterly hopeless. His heart is utterly weary and broken. There's no possibility that he can do anything to deliver himself from the crucified place that he is in, stretched bare naked, for all the world to scoff at and scorn and make sport of him. And he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to know tonight, it is an absolutely normal human reaction. And it is not sin to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is not the sin of unbelief. It is the honest cry of a heart weary, saying, how long, O oh God, how long, O oh God? Why will you not deliver me, O oh God? Why am I in this place of suffering and shame? Why am I being scorned? Why am I being cast down? Why does everything crash around me? Why, O oh God? Verse 12, many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. The cattle from Bashan were the strongest and the best. It's where the best grazing land was. Remember the fat cows of Bashan referred to in Isaiah? These are the bulls of Bashan. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has milded away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shrod. Do you know what a pot shrod is? It's a piece of broken pottery that's cast on the ground. It's worthless. He's saying that's what his strength is. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me, or I am laid in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. Oh, my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Oh, do you have any dogs tonight that are barking at you? Do you have any hopelessness rising up in your heart? Saying, I'm weary, I'm beat up. It seems hopeless. I try, I go as hard as I can, I try the best I can, and I just don't have the strength. Hear what Jesus' response is. 
verse 22, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't after he's resurrected. This is while he's on the cross crucified. This is while he's crucified. This is what's going through Jesus. This is what enabled him to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This was the spirit of Jesus. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. I want you to, I want you to see as Jesus is being crucified, when Jesus comes to the very end of everything, there are tears. There is submission. There is praying. There is trust. There is obedience. On the other hand, the disciples, when they reached the end of their limit with God, they went to sleep. They dropped in exhaustion. They ran away. They sunk in depression. And they survived in anger. I want to go through those again, may I? When Jesus reached the utter and bitter end, there were tears. There was submission. There was praying. There was trust. There was obedience. But the disciples, when they reached their end, they went to sleep. They fell in exhaustion. They ran away. They sunk in depression and they survived in anger. We have to make that choice. Those are two totally separate paths. Both are open to us. But if we begin to understand that God has not left us. And Jesus worked his way through his feelings all the way to the final conclusion found in Psalm 22. The 22nd verse, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So while Jesus is saying on one side, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is confessing on the other side that God has not forsaken him. Now oh, you understand. This is the 
separation between the divine and the human. The human felt utterly rejected and left. The divine knew that God could never leave. They were both present in one man. When we come to Jesus Christ, we submit our hearts and our lives to him, and we begin to press into him, we are going to have both in our hearts as well. This is hopeless. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why go on? I can't go on. My strength is utterly spent. The bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. The lions are growling. The dogs are biting. All is hopeless. It's, it's worthless. It's all been for naught. And on the other side, the spirit of the mighty God dwelling in us will speak into our hearts and he will say to us, he has not hidden his face from you. He has listened to your cry for help. See, we equate God doing what we want for God hearing us. <laughs> Jesus knew that doing what God wants is equivalent to God hearing us. We think God should come and do what we want him to do. God thinks we ought to go ahead and do what he wants us to do. We want God to come and fix up our partly little life here. God wants to fix up a glorious life over there. We get mad because God won't deliver us here in the way we think we should be delivered. God wants to deliver us by taking us home with him. I want God's deliverance. I don't need any cosmetic smeared on my life. Just let it be what it is. I trust the Lord. I don't understand. I trust Him. My heart can do nothing but trust Him because His divine nature is in me. And I cannot deny it. His divine nature is likewise in you. And you may have on one side feelings of absolute depression and discouragement and tears. And it's not sin because Jesus had it and he was without sin. So no self-condemnation. But his divine nature is in us too. And it says, let God do what God wants to do in your situation. Don't tell God how to fix it. Tell God you'll trust him to fix it however he chooses to. It's very interesting to me that everything that man manufactures when put under the microscope, quickly will appear all of the defects. And the closer you look at it, the more defects appear.
But everything that you take that God has made, the more you magnify it, the more gloriously perfect it appears. We can make a silk flower. And it looks pretty. Until you put it under the microscope. And then the thumbprint of God isn't on it. The thumbprint of flesh is on it. But you take a lowly dandelion and put it under the microscope. It's filled with life. It has the thumbprint of God on it. Tonight is God's thumbprint on your life. Then let's not be looking at what we've created in our life. Let's look at what God's creating in our life. Verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. Verse 31, they will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn for he has done it. This is a prophecy out of verse 30. It says, future generations will be told about the Lord and they will proclaim his righteousness. I'm one of that future generation. And I am proclaiming to you tonight the righteousness of God. I'm proclaiming to you, hot from the throne of God, that he loves you, he cares for you, he is not going to leave you. He is going to carry you all the way through. The divine nature has been placed in you. And even though you may feel, my God, why have you left me? Why have you deserted me? It's a lie. He has not deserted you. He has not cast you aside. Jesus continued to pray in that garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood until he prayed all the way through. And when he stood up from that awful prayer session, his face was calm and resolute. His steps were sure. He knew now he could go all the way through. Now, you're not going to know that you can go all the way through until that prayer closet work is finished. And you have absolutely prayed through until you are resolute that you will ask the Father to do His will in your life regardless of what that looks like, regardless of who you lose or who scorns you and casts you aside. You will do the work of the Father. You will allow Him to control your circumstances. You will allow Him to direct your steps. And you will say to Satan, get thee behind me. 
tonight. I want your heart to be encouraged. And know that your heart grows weary because it's a human heart. But it's not just a human heart. It's also partaking in the divine nature. And as the divine nature is quickened in you, you fan to life that spark that God has placed in your heart by divine revelation of his righteousness. And you begin to walk with courage, resolute and calm. And you will trust the Almighty. Tonight it doesn't matter what it looks like. doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you're afraid is going to happen. God has it all in his control. And he will bring forth his glory. Almighty God. Mighty King. You have loved us with such an everlasting love. You have not left us. You have not cast us aside. You have not deserted the National Prayer Chapel. We may be small in number, but, oh God, I know we are precious in your sight and you know us by name. I praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.